This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Before jumping into the podcast, we have a quick new segment called Data Drops, brought to you by Placer AI. Today's data drop is about experiential retail. Dick's Sporting Goods has recently launched House of Sports, an experiential retail and sports concept. The idea was to break the mold and create a powerful addition to the brand's wider fleet. Since its launch, visits to the House of Sports location in Rochester, New York, have outpaced other nearby Dick's Sporting Goods locations. Weekly visits to the new concept are on average 93.5% higher than the average weekly visits at three nearby Dick's Sporting Goods locations. The House of Sports location also boasts a median visit duration 13.3% longer than the national average. Additionally, its true trade area is 10.7% larger than that of the next largest local Dick's Sporting Goods location. I think this is interesting, and I think it's probably foreshadowing to what we're going to see happen in certain retail concepts. One, when retailers innovate, especially retailers that innovate the brand loyalty, the brand recognition as someone like Dick's Sporting Goods, the intrigue alone attracts new customers. I think something interesting here is that this clearly has been sustained. And I think they will continue to see this be a location that does that. When you have a brand that has such a loyal following and you create an experience for people to try on new products, to congregate, to have fun, to get exceptional service, well, I think that's going to lead to more consumers frequenting the store and probably staying longer. I think the foreshadowing here is that there's certainly going to be certain retailers that are able to create an experiential retail concept in a certain amount of their stores. What is still uncertain is if retailers like this will do this for majority of their stores, that might not be necessary or ROI positive, but certainly adding an experiential element to some stores is clearly having a positive effect. Stay tuned for more data drops. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Anne Mazanga. Anne is the co-founder of OmniTalk. She brings a wealth of knowledge from the retail industry. I'm excited for her to be here. Welcome to the show, Anne. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, Longtime listener, first-time guest today. I'm excited (laughs) to be here. Excellent. Well, Anne, why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? So uh, I'm Ann Mazinga, one of the co-founders of OmniTalk with my partner, Chris Walton. Chris and I met, uh, I God, I think it was, it's like seven years ago now. 
when we were um, we were running the Target Store of the Future project. So Target came to Chris and I asking us, you know, how do you conceive of the Target Store in the next three to five years? So we spent several years um, really building out a team to answer that question, uh, researching new technologies, new partnerships for, you know, kind of what would bring people to a physical store. And um, after that project ended in 2017, we really enjoyed working together. We wanted to continue to conduct this research into retail technology, especially from a retailer's perspective. We kind of saw this gap with OmniTalk of, you know, you have all these pundits and journalists talking about cool new technologies and coming out, but nobody was able to kind of put the lens on it of, you know, how as a retailer am I evaluating these technologies and determining kind of what the next move is. So we have our weekly podcast on Thursdays the fast five where we talk about the five things you need to know about retail that week and then we do a lot of other um, insights and, and research with other companies in the space so that's OmniTalk. Excellent what a cool background to work on the store of the future for Target I think that's so yes. cool. Best job we've ever had I think next to this one right now working together is pretty great too but uh, but yeah if you ask Chris and I what the best job we've ever had it's it's easily that one it was amazing great team. And your world is continues to get interesting. Sitting behind you is this like, I asked you, it's like this amazing space. Why don't you tell everyone what the space is behind you? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, um, we really set out to create a space that was kind of a incubator slash co-working space and lab space for people specifically in the retail industry. So, you know, there's all these co-working spaces popping up and we really felt like, you know, we need a place to one, have networking happening for people who work in and around the retail industry. And so we created um, Third House and it's a 8,000 square foot space, you know, part office space. We have our podcast studio here, but then we also set up a warehousing and lab space in a high uh, traffic retail corridor so that people can do everything from, you know, focus groups, from AB packaging testing to, you know, actual retail happening in the store here too. Amazing. And lastly, your family is gym owners. We are. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a few things going on. I think uh, you're all certifiable in and around, here. You're, you're all in and around the retail space. You've got brick and mortar locations, you're incubating retailers, you're doing research in the retail industry, you, you've got every part covered. Yeah, we do. Yeah, my husband and I also own a couple of uh, boutique uh, fitness centers in the Minneapolis area, which actually I think has been a really great kind of piece of insight for me as we start to see retailers moving more towards, you know, subscription programs and memberships and just like understanding the world and how people's desires can continuously change, especially throughout the last, you know, couple of years with COVID. And as people are starting to come back. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been fun. It's a, and you know, it's great to just run next door and, and get a quick workout in and take myself away from the computer for a few hours. I hear you there. Okay. So what a great story. I want to learn a little bit more about you. So I've got three fun personal questions. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. All right. We call this clear the air. All right. Question one. Yes. Go with the easy one. When is the last time you did something for the first time? Um, well, I just learned how to surf for the first time in August. Um, oh. I'm, I'm almost 40. I turned 40 in a few days and, uh, I can't believe I've waited so long to, to learn how to surf. And it was one of the most fun things. Uh, my son and I took a lesson together on a family vacation in August and 
now I'm obsessed with it. Like I want to actually do surfing centered vacations, which everybody in my family thinks I'm insane, but it's a blast. It's so amazing. Have you done it? I've never surfed, but um, I'm, I'm not quite 40 yet either. And now you've got me wanting to, yeah, check it off the bucket list. Wear a wetsuit though. It's, it does a lot of damage to the body at this age. I feel like you gotta be, you gotta be prepared, but man, the feeling of like getting up on a wave is, I don't know. It's like magical. And, And where were you surfing? Uh, I was in San Clemente in California. We took a family trip there. Also a wonderful space and a big, um, you know, surfing town and community. And it was incredible. So wonderful. That sounds great. Did your husband go? Yeah. Everybody tried surfing and I, it was, I was the lone ranger. I just like left everybody at the beach and was like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to go surf for like three hours. I'll see you later. Wow. Unfortunately, not a ton of surfing going on in Minneapolis. No, no, I'm in the wrong. I'm, I'm really, I'm a California girl at heart, I think. And so I just have to figure out ways to keep um, luring everybody I know back there. I keep, that's like every vacation pitch that I've been giving for 2022 is like, how about California? Have you tried California? Have you surfed before? So everybody's over it. it. (laughs) Okay. Question two. Yes. What is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? Oh man. Excel. I wish I was an Excel wizard. Mm. I hate Excel with a passion. I think it's the like creative in me never had to like go through like super like pivot tables and crazy like Excel wizardry. And every year on the first of the year, I'm like, I'm going to take an Excel like grad class right now and just become a wizard. And it never happens. That's what I have Chris for uh, my business partner. He is a wizard and all of his merchandising years has learned how to do all of those things. So, so did I, I know he grew up through target through being a merchant. What, what was your roles as you were before that store of the future? What were you? So my background, I actually, uh, my degrees in broadcast journalism. So I was in news. I was a reporter for a short, short stint. And I was like, this is not my jam. Um, I, so I went into advertising and so I kind of came up through target in, uh, their internal creative agency, uh, and spent time at some advertising agencies, um, as you know, before that. So my background is really in like designing and creating the experiences and, and the strategies around those experiences. And then Chris's perspective and why we kind of were a a perfect match for leading that store of the future project was, you know, he came from the merchandising aspect. Like mine was how does the store look and feel? And Chris's background was like, how do we actually make this store profitable and run? And like, what are the operations we need to put in place? What are the things that need to be on the shelves in order to make this like vision come to life? Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Last question. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Oh, gravy. Can I say gravy? Gravy. Yes. I love I'm in the minority. I hate gravy. Like just saying the word makes me gag a little bit. And I would say that the majority of the U S population is, uh, is pro gravy. And I am, I am not Thanksgiving is my least favorite holiday. So, oh my goodness. I know. So what do you, what do you, what do you have at Thanksgiving? I don't, I like bring my own food. You bring um, your own food. Or I like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what we do in our family called gracias giving, where we do like tacos and other like Mexican food instead of turkey. Like I can't handle it. I know it's sacrilege. I, I understand the, the severity of what I'm saying 
never heard of an audience now yes now i i grew up italian and on some holidays that are not traditional italian holidays we still do like a lot of italian food so i've had thanksgivings where instead of turkey we had lasagna and and like sausage and peppers and things like that but lately i had this i was on this mission so i got married in 2015 Okay. And before that, it was it was crazy because my, my wife's also from the New York area. And every holiday was torture because we'd go from from house to house, from family to family. Everyone wanted and it was like, oh my goodness. So and everyone had their own unique traditions and whatnot. Yeah. And I decided I said, this is for the birds. I'm not doing this. And everyone's like, well, what are you gonna do? And so when we got married, I bought a house. <clears throat> waited till we had a, a child. Once we did, I said, listen, here's the deal. You want to see your grandkids? No problem, but you're coming to me. I'm stealing all the holidays. You have all these traditions of Christmas and like you've been doing it for 30 years. It's really important to you. Sorry, I'm not sorry. You want to have to see your grandkids? You have to come to me. And so I've taken over many of the holidays. I've, I've, I've ruined everyone else's traditions, made my own, but they all come to me now on the holidays. At least the, 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 the main important ones like Christmas nice, and Thanksgiving. Nice yeah, so work, I did like a Chris. Coup d'etat of all the holidays. I love it. And using the grandchildren as leverage is a brilliant idea. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're not going to say no to that. Even, exactly. They would even sacrifice their 30-year holiday <laughs> traditions for seeing their grandchildren. I, I might need to steal that from you. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. So now I don't have to leave my house. So it's great. Okay. <laughs> uh, gravy. Gravy. All right. So... We have a really, what I would consider an interesting topic today. I I asked you to think about, which is the three things you're scared you are wrong about in retail. Mm -hmm. So I've got three, you've got three. Yeah. Let's go. uh, I I like lists. Yeah. They don't matter. I don't know if there is any order, but let's pretend there's an order. I love it. What's the... What's your third? What's number three? It's not the it's not the most scary. What's number three though? Oh man, um, I would say, I I don't know if I can say like the the third like and final one. I would say that the labor shortage issues are things that I think I particularly underestimated. I think in my head, I was I was saying when we look at the retail landscape and just what what we're hearing a lot of retailers talk about. I think there was this expectation from a lot of us that you know come September when you know the the assistance was starting to wane that we'd get all these people back into the workforce and that this labor shortage that a lot of people from you know grocers to hospitality to um, restaurant folks are facing would kind of start to um, start to dissipate. And I feel like this has really become uh, now a, a larger issue for a lot of people, um, forcing retailers, especially to start looking at, okay, now where do I need the people at my stores and where am I going to really have to double down on invest in technology to help, you know, keep my stores running, especially as we're entering into the holiday season. So that's one thing where I think labor is just something where no one really prepared for, um, or, or was hoping would get better. And I don't know that it's going to. Okay. I got it. Uh, so 
you're, you're, you're scared that it's not going to get better anytime soon. And you thought it would be getting better by now. For sure. I think in my head, I was like, oh, people are just going to take the summer off and, you know, good for them. They should take the summer off. And now, but when it, when the kids go back to school this fall, like people are going to get back in. And I'm just hearing from a lot of people that, you know, they, people retired and they, you know, during COVID or people have reprioritized, like how much money do I need to make? Or what do I need to be happy? And it's like, you thought that you just have this, this rush towards back, you know, getting back into the workforce and we're just not seeing it yet. So. Uh, I'll get, I, I, I love the answer. I'm, I'm going to give mine, which is I'm scared. I'm wrong about retail rents. Okay. So retail uh, properties are pricing really soaring right now, especially for open air properties that we have. And I would tell you in, when we're looking at to buy properties where underwriting deals and, you know, I think, in certain instances, we're aggressive. In certain instances, we're conservative. And, you know, we've lost some bids. And clearly, some people think retail rents are going to soar. Okay. And if they are, then I could clearly pay the price that that people were asking. And so if you think about it, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made, which is if a lot of properties are going to change, let's say malls are converted. Mm-hmm there's virtually no new retail construction going on in America, right? There's no new Walmart or Target super centers being shopping centers being built and retailers continue to open stores. So that's shrinking. All those things are shrinking supply. Retail sales are going through the roof when supplies constrained and there's demand. You would think rents are going up, but you have all this headline news that would tell you like, ah, how could retail rents go up? I'm a little scared that I'm wrong and I'm, I might be missing a boat and retail rents are about to soar. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a spectacular thing to think about because I, I agree. I mean, I think that the message you're hearing from retailers is this expectation. Like I should be able to, the malls are empty. I should be able to go in and negotiate whatever kind of rent situation I want. And it's really interesting to hear, especially your perspective being so, you know, involved in this, in this area of retail and real estate, you know, that that's actually not the case (laughs) that all this leverage that these retailers think that they have is, is not actually going to be there when all is said and done. Yeah. So I, I, in the long run, I hope, I hope we do have growth in, in rental rates. And, uh, and I'm, I'm scared that, you know, I, we always thought that they were going to rise. I think the supply and demand, if, especially if like legitimately we just eliminate supply off the planet by closing malls or demoing yeah. malls. Yeah. Well, there, if you just eliminate supply, it just means that price will rise. So right. if, if for those who want to be in certain places. And so I, I thought it, was going to rise, especially with inflation. I thought it was going to rise, but I'm a little concerned that I might've missed the boat and that it's actually going to soar and rents are going to skyrocket. Well, Chris, I I wonder how, yeah, I wonder how that's going to shape shake out too. When you start to think about the changing footprint of some of those retail stores too, like if they move to smaller, what will the demand look like when they want, you know, maybe smaller, you know, store like front of house space and they want more industrial they're running you know they have an industrial warehouse space that they invested in like how how is that going to impact the market too we will we will say oh um okay do you want me to go to my next one number two for you number two i underestimated the power of instant delivery 
And I think that after coming out of this, um, this last conference we were at last week out at grocery shop, um, if you haven't been paying attention to what your strategy is for instant delivery or, you know, what your stance is going to be, I think that's something that you absolutely need to be paying attention to. I think that, uh, consumers are probably going to demand this in a way that I could not have anticipated. Got it. Well, the, I, I, as it comes to instant delivery, I, I think one of the things to me, I, I think this will come down to a couple of things. Yeah. And this is why I'm a little less scared on this one, which is eventually brands and retailers need to be profitable. I think, mm-hmm. I think that'll be a demand from investors. And so yep. at some point, and if they're going to try and compete with Walmart, Target, and Amazon on, on speed, they're going to lose. And that's going to be a costly loss. It's going to take a lot of money to lose. And so I like what like Timberland did, which is to me, they almost said, not doing this race. I'm not going to win this race. And so what did Timberland do? They said, actually, if you take longer delivery, we'll plant a tree in your name. Hmm. And so they obviously going to their customer who's like, you know, outdoorsy, socially conscious and saying like, I'm, I'm not going to compete for this next day, same day, right. next hour, same hour. Because from a price, you, you for most retailers, the exception of like, you know, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Costco, and a few others, it's, this is a landscape that majority in terms of numbers of retailers, they can't compete in. And if they try, it's going to be a costly endeavor. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I think um, you said something on a podcast we were I was listening to or maybe clubhouse discussion with Carly a while back that was fascinating to me is bringing up, you know, as, as these, these instant delivery providers are starting to move into the suburbs, like what does that look like too? Because to your, your point about profitability, I agree with you hundred percent. Like there's no way to do this profitably right now. It's they're losing money. So it's figuring out for these retailers, one, how do you expand this beyond urban cores? And then two, how do you figure out, you know, how to make money off of that? Now, one argument might be that they can leverage this um, growing theme and trend of retail media networks and being able to sell that space in the app at the point of, you know, making a decision, do I want Coke or Pepsi right now in this moment? And, and really having the successful conversion rates that they're seeing in these apps to help, you know, pay for some of that, that last minute delivery. Um, but yeah, there's still, there's still quite a bit to work out. Uh, I just think that we're going to see a lot more uh, action in that space more quickly than I could have imagined. Understood. Um, okay. So for me, I've been on a, on an Island and I've been saying, is it about gravy? No, <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> I like gravy. I like gravy. And, and in, in my family, a lot, a lot of people call like the Italian red sauce gravy. Yes. So, yes. I'm talking uh, about the other, brown the other gravy. stuff. I'm yes. quite okay with Italian gravy being Italian myself. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. So I've been on an island. I have been saying that we don't have too many physical stores. We have way too many digital stores. Okay. And that's my position. And I don't hear anyone talking about that. And I've been like on an island of that. 
and I'm sticking to it. But there's a little part of me that's like, I'm the only person really saying this. So <laughs> I'm scared I might be wrong. But I, I, it, it's a little bit of fear. Most of it, I'm pretty convicted that we're not even close to too many physical stores. We have way too many digital stores. And, and I'll give you a little context around that. Take the number, whatever it is. Let's yeah. say 80% of retail sales go to stores today and 20% is online. Well, yeah. pre-pandemic, we had like approximately 1.8 million digital stores, way more in the US, way more than physical stores. They were taking you know, less than 20% of the sales and the majority, 80% of the retail sales were going to a much lesser store count. And to me, that math won't play out, especially on the store side, physical store, most of them are profitable. And on the digital side, most of them are not. Right. And if you take the total retail sales in America, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've looked at this, the total retail sales in America in physical stores, and you divide that by the total retail GLA in America. It's, it's an astounding dollars per square foot in the store. Mm. So what does that really tell you? It should mean that every store works. It doesn't. It's because that's an average. And so mm -hmm. some stores are really good and some stores are really bad. We might have too many just not good stores and some retailers right. that aren't good, but that doesn't mean that retail's broken. And you know, there was this push to go, okay, the way to make it is to open up online stores. And I think we have way too many digital stores and I, but I am scared a little bit that I'm wrong about that. Oh, I think, I think you're bringing up a good point though, Chris. I mean, the, the issue here too, is that a lot of these like bricks and mortar retailers, they haven't evolved at all. They haven't yeah. done anything differently. And so I think that, you know, it's going to come from both sides. Like the, the, the concept of, of the retail store, as we know it right now, we, it's gone through an evolution over the course of the last couple of years with the pandemic, it's accelerated, but I think that there's still so much work that retailers are going to have to do to determine what does my store footprint need to be? I mean, it it's this, this seismic shift that we've seen from pre-purchase, which used to be, I need to go in and I need to walk the store and I need to try things on to post-purchase now where the, the real value of the store is how can I do returns quickly there? How can I exchange something quickly? What am I going, you know, is it tailoring that I'm going to the store to get? And, and you don't need the, the square footage that you needed before. Um, and, and what does that look like again, you know, to our earlier conversation of like how much of the store is front of house versus back of house, how much of the store, uh, that footprint is experience versus product. So it's like, there's so much of that, that I think we, we just, we can't sit on the stores as they used to sit in the malls and in the strip centers. It's going to be this evolution of how are you bringing these, this omni-channel experience to your customer. And I think a lot of that will result in a, a changing footprint of, of the stores. Totally makes a lot of sense. Okay. Last one. What is your the, the number one thing you're scared you might be wrong about or we the industry might be wrong about. Okay, I thought another thing that um, I there was some IRI data that I just read last week that said that according to their research, Gen Z will choose uh, values over price when making their decision, which I, I mean, one, I don't know where Gen Z is getting all this money because when exactly. I was that age, I was like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got to get the like 
Target t-shirt. You can't go to, you know, I you can't be going to Barney's and getting your t-shirts. Like this is not going to work if you're 17, but somehow they're making this happen. Um, I would, I would question, you know, these, some of the buy now pay later programs and things that are facilitating these installment financing payments. And perhaps they're able to make things like that work and make these decisions of, you know, values or quality over price. But according to this IRA data last week, they said that the Gen Z will actually choose uh, price or sorry, values over price. They will invest more money if it came from some place that was, you know, where it was made sustainably or a company that has better values than, um, you know, an H&M or somebody that's just putting out fast fashion quickly. And that shocked me. Um, so I, I still don't know what to do with that, Chris. Yeah, I think, well, one, I have no data behind what I'm about to say. This is just okay. what I'm about to say, which is, I don't know how much money of that is theirs. Sure. Right. If, if, if you're 17 and you're buying and you're buying a Chanel bag, yes, that's, it's not your money. I think, right. right. You know, that's mom and dad's money. And so I would argue that we should be counting that as mom and dad's money and not Gen Z money Fair. because, yeah. you know, now if you spent, if you started working at 14 and you worked at Panera and you saved all your money and Chanel bag went on sale and you spent it all on that. Okay. I would count that. Right. But I just, it doesn't feel like what's happening. Number one. No, <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. And yeah. So, it's a mystery. And, and that's, that's number one. Number two is I, it's astounding to me that we don't talk about price enough. I say this all the time. I'm looking for the next one, but like in like 2017 or 2018, Career Builder did a, a survey that said about 78% of Americans were paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. So retailers can't deliver goods and make money unless they charge shipping. And 78% of consumers can't spend another dollar on shipping. So how does this work? Right. Right. How does this work? If that's the case, if that many people can't afford a $500 car, you know, emergency, they can't pay an extra $20 a week on shipping. Or, you know, if they're buying from multiple retailers, you know, $20 from every retailer and the retailers can't afford to ship it for free. Right. So to me, we don't talk about price enough. And I am, I'm scared I'm wrong too, but I'm with you at some point price has to matter for this generation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I think we'll, we will see that. I, I think, you know, the buy now pay later stuff is interesting too. When you bring up the point that you just did, where it is enabling some families to kind of stretch those payments out, you know, now that Amazon is doing buy now pay later and Apple and Walmart and Target and these major retailers um, are, are implementing these programs. It does allow a family to say, okay, I'm going to get my groceries, but I don't have to pay for them all, you know, wait for that paycheck to cash and then spread it out. But I think that we are also looking at this next generation who's coming up, you know, getting comfortable with these platforms and, and, you know, will they, will that work? It could work. Um, or will it end up in a situation where they potentially have, you know, are getting into credit card debt, but not via credit cards. It's via something else. Yeah. The, the, the argument that they're making, cause I've done a lot of homework on this. The companies are making around that is okay. Well, it's less interest. It's more flexible mm -hmm. payments. There's no late fees. 
Right. So you, you're better off getting into consumer debt with me than with right. the credit card. Right. Yeah. Which is true if that's how it all yeah. goes down. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think, well, the buy now, pay later to me is here to stay because sure. if you have, I just, when you have companies like Goldman Sachs and PayPal spending billions of dollars and, you know, all the square paid 29 billion yep. for which one was it a firm? I think mm-hmm. a firm uh, after, after pay, pay. Yeah. Yeah. after pay. Yeah. You, this is, th- these guys are not, this is not, you know, they're, this is not nickel and dime, egg and cheese kind of stuff. This is right. real big boy dollars. So. Right. Right. <laughs> and no, it, <laughs> and it increases per, I mean, the, it's for every, for like the, the intent of buy no pay later is a great idea. I mean, it's increasing purchases on, especially online purchases. It's, you know, getting people into a product that maybe, you know, they couldn't afford all up front right away, but in, in installments, they can get into better, um, better products. And so I think as a concept, you're right. It's, it's here to stay for sure. Um, I think it's just, you know, how does this continue to, to evolve and, you know, how does, how does Gen Z support their, their um, sustainable and value-driven purchases um, with, you know, where, where are they going to get the money to pay for all of these things? And, and how does that affect our economy as the next, you know, largest spending group? Totally. Uh, okay. That's, so your third one was that you were wrong that price mattered and yes. people only, Gen Z is only buying on values. Yes. Right. <laughs> major, major fault there. What about you, Chris? I, I, this falls, this is a little real estate but falls into retail, which is, I'm scared I'm wrong about um, the construction costs and materials pricing. Um, I thought we'd be seeing costs dip Yeah. by now. You heard all these things, especially as borders open up and whatnot. And, you know, there's a part of me that's wondering if we had like a resetting of pricing and it's inflated. And this matters to everybody right because if you're a retailer you have capex plans if you're a landlord you're building things and it's a concern and it doesn't the i'm i need to some one of my the uh our general counsel and an executive manager meeting said this yesterday which is we need to accelerate the horizon this is one of the areas i need to accelerate the horizon to see because it doesn't feel like we're accelerating the horizon at all here it feels like it's just continuing to be pushed out. And so um, I thought, you know, late this year, early 22, you might have a resetting of prices and we'd be back to normal construction costs. And I am concerned I am wrong about that, which affects a lot of industries, not just real estate and retail, affects a lot of industries. So um, we'll see what the impacts are on that. Yeah, I think that's a great point too, that, you know, the delays in in building the retail locations and then the delays in supply chain that we're seeing too, getting, getting products to shops. Like this could be, this could have a a bigger impact than we realize. I think that's a great one, Chris. All right. Well, and these were great. So to recap yours, were you're scared about, you're scared. You're wrong about the labor shortage. Yes. You are scared. You were wrong. What was number two? Number two is speed of, of instant delivery. Oh, the delivery. instant delivery. You're yeah. scared you're wrong about instant delivery. Yes. And scared you're wrong about uh, 
price matter to you Gen know, Z. Minor detail. Yes. Uh, for me, it was scared or wrong about retail rents and they're actually going to soar. Uh, number two, that the island I'm sitting on, which I'm saying there's too many digital stores and scared I was wrong about construction costs. Um, brings us to the last part of the show, Anne. I've got yes. three fun questions for you. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Um, I'm going to say this with a caveat, but uh, Toys R Us, but well done. For me, there is no reason that Toys R Us cannot be like an incredible experience. The toy store is still a very experiential thing. You know, the most important things about a physical retail experience, you know, creating memories and the, the pure delight and enjoyment of being in a physical space, like those two things are at their core should be Toys R Us. And I think that, you know, we've seen multiple attempts to do this, but it's, it's really not been done well yet, in my opinion. Maybe me and you should open up a toy store, Anne. Okay. I'm good. Let's, let's go. I've got nothing going on here, Chris, neither do you. So I think that we should just, yeah, pack it all up and, and we'll open the toy store somewhere. Okay. Question two. Yes. What is the last item over $20 you bought in a store? Uh, a pair of boots. I'm in Minneapolis, Chris, and you know, it's basically winter already here. So mm -hmm. you have to be prepared for winter. And, uh, and I just bought a new pair of boots for the winter. What kind of boots? Um, they are sorrel boots. Oh yeah. You know, they're good. Get, they're you know, good. yeah, we had to we get, it's, it's, uh, we're about to enter the, the terror stage of Minneapolis. So we just got to have everything ready and didn't want to have supply chain issues with boots, which are a very necessary item here. And, and what, uh, what's, what's temperature like now? And now it's beautiful right now. It's like, it's supposed to be 80 today and sunny and beautiful fall crisp weather, but you know, that could change tomorrow. I would not be surprised if they were like, we have a, a we have a front coming in tomorrow and there's going to be 12 inches of snow on the ground. So anything can happen. Yes. Okay. Question three. Yes. And if you and I were shopping at Target, which I think you, you might be the first one I've asked this question to who was in charge of designing Target, a Target <laughs> store, but uh, if you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? Well, lately I would say I probably am outside at curbside pickup waiting for my order. Um, but if I was in a store, you'd probably find me in the who, what, where clearance section, which is one of my favorite brands. Like I would, if I was back at Target, I would like be rallying for a who, what, where like store, just a, a whole store, just taking that and running with it. I love that brand so much. Interesting. Do you know who, what, where Chris, or do I, should I break it down? Break it down for me. I, I am familiar, but break it down for the audience. It's who, what, where is a, one of the lines that target started in partnership with um, two designers uh, several years ago now, but it's like everything that they make is, I feel like the really well done, really great design. Um, it's women's apparel, mostly like work, I would say women's work apparel, but with a really fun, like design twist. I think it's like, for me, I believe it's like the highest level of design that, uh, that Target puts into uh, an apparel line that they come out with seasonally. So yes. And you, great. and so you, you believe this could be standalone stores. I do. Like, I think it could be, I mean, it's, I, for me, it's like Zara. It's like, it could be, it could be, you know, toe to go toe to toe with the Zara. Um, 
I love it so much. So that's probably where you'd find me is like going through the clearance racks, trying to, trying to pick up some pieces for myself that I don't need. So excellent. Well, and this is incredible. One of my uh, favorite interviews. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.